Hello and welcome to another episode of Journey to the Rise. I'm your host, Lucretia. In today's episode, we speak with Nikki Lundquist Edwards, a yoga instructor based in Memphis, Tennessee. Nikki's journey didn't take her on a straight path to yoga. As you will find out, much of her life hasn't been a straight path, but it has led her to a successful career as a yoga instructor. We also talk about her experience hiking and an injury that helped her begin to recognize the importance of listening to our bodies. Nikki also shares her insight on movement being medicine and her viewpoint on the health benefits that come from moving our bodies. So let's get moving with this episode and welcome Nikki Lundquist Edwards. Excellent. I am so happy to have our guest today. She is an incredible spirit. She is just full of light and love and energy. And I'm just so honored to have this conversation. Nikki, thank you so much for being here. Hi, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm stoked. Yay. So I want to kick off with the beginning with you. Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in uh, a lot of different places. Before the age of 25, I've lived, I lived in 12 different cities. And um, oh part gosh. of that is because I know <laughs> we moved quite often. Um, my dad is a radio personality and this was back in radio's heyday. And he was a very ambitious person and was always just working up to the next level and getting into the next biggest market. And like, I could list off all the cities, I won't, but they, they incrementally get bigger. Um, wow. Yeah, <laughs> as he was moving forward in his career. And then of course, some of those moves were my own, um, like, you know, where I chose to go to school and where I've currently landed in Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah, so lots of places. Wherever so I am is, is home. <laughs> I love that. And that's how it should be. Yeah, I once had someone tell me, bloom where you are planted. And I think that's the best advice that we can get. So as you're moving from city to city, like you're, that's a lot of adjusting for a kid. Like what kind of kid were you growing up? Um, I was a very artistic kid. And maybe that was such a good thing too, because we did move a lot. And when you're always the new kid, it can be challenging to make friendships. Uh, so I did spend maybe more time alone than perhaps other kids my age. I have a younger sister, though. So, you know, I spent plenty of time with my family and I did make some friends, of course. But, uh, you know, art was something that has was given to me and it's something that's always been there for me. So there's that. Um, I was a little, maybe a little bit of a nerd. I, I love to read and I still read. I've always got a book I'm reading. I like to think I was a funny kid. Uh, one of my ambitions actually was to be a stand-up comedian. I'm not even joking. That was like one of my dream jobs. I, I'm honestly That's not doing amazing. that. That's but... <laughs> amazing. I love um, that. Yeah. So like cuckoo fact about me. Uh, I'm the oldest child. I have a younger sister. And I would say that I probably fall into the quintessential older sibling type role and all those characteristics that I think a lot of um, older sibling have older siblings have you know striving <laughs> achieving having to figure things out for yourself because there's no one before you yeah right right I'm a very, very I was a very true. curious kid too. 
Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So did you ever end up taking any kind of improv classes with your interest in being a comedian? No, I didn't. But I will say I was terrified to do this, but I forced myself to sign up for speech classes like when I was in junior high. I mean, it scared the dickens out of me because I was kind of a reserved person like when I was in school. But I was like, I'm going to do this because it, it, it does kind of freak me out. And I knew it would be good for me. So I, wow. I did that for several years. And then when I went to high school, I actually ended up on the radio and television crew back then, you know, which in a way is kind of like improv, I guess. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> so did you, once you graduated, did you go off to college? I did. I went to the University of Missouri in Columbia. Okay. And, what made you want mm-hmm. to choose that university? I decided to try to put together my artistic talents in a way that I thought might be better in society. So I ultimately landed on advertising, like which is a creative type of endeavor. I mean, looking back mm-hmm. on it, I'm like, nah, I should have just stuck, you know, done the thing. But, you know, you feel all these societal pressures of like, oh, you got to do this. And so I was like, oh, okay. Well, it turns out that the University of Missouri, I don't know if it still is today, but it was the number one journalism school in America at the time. And a lot of people wow. told me to go check it out because advertising is through the journalism school. And so I went there and was accepted. Absolutely loved the campus and all of the people there. They were so ridiculously friendly. Like I felt like at home there, actually. So nice. that's what drove me to go there was for that programming and then just seeing the place and feeling like I belonged. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. So once you graduate college, like, what did you do? Like, where did you end up living? Did you stay close to the university or did you branch outward? I bounced around a little bit. Uh, I ended up in Washington, D.C. for for some time, maybe a year or a little less than a year, I had a boyfriend, you see. And so he had moved there. He graduated <laughs> a semester. <laughs> and I, you know, so I stayed there for a little while. And then I guess I had one of those like early 20s, like crises. Like, what am I? I don't even know who I am and what am I doing? And um, at the same time, my mom was needing some assistance. And so I ended up leaving there and uh, moving in with her in San Antonio. Stayed there for a few months and she got a job offer in memphis tennessee and since i hadn't quite found employment i was like well maybe i could just tag along so that's how i ended up here and i've just been here ever since yeah (laughs) it's a nice community there i think people overlook that they just hear the statistics of memphis and don't realize how incredibly friendly and welcoming the people in memphis really are yeah and it really is a place that's got some characteristic and soul to it i think you know it's kind of got a little gritty Mm -hmm. to it but i think that's awesome and yeah um, i think the grit is what makes the people though when you really get down to brass tacks that's what makes them so humble and nice is that that grit so when you're in memphis a lot of people may not know this but you ended up getting into belly dancing did you always have an interest in dance No, I wouldn't say I always had an interest in dance, but I've always had an interest in artistic and creative expressions and like avenues for that. 
when I moved to Memphis, that was uh, shortly thereafter is when I started going to belly dancing. I found a random flyer and I was like, well, that sounds fascinating. And I hadn't made any friends yet. And I was wanting to meet some new people. And I like to do things off the beaten path. I, if there's something that's just way too popular, I'm like, I don't know. Could it possibly be that good? Maybe it is. I don't know. But then there was this belly dance thing. I'm like, wow, that's okay. What is this? And I wanted to move my body, meet some people and do something kind of different. It just like ticked all the things. So I um, signed up. I went, went to my first class and had a great time. I kept going back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And then eventually mm -hmm. you went from belly dancing into yoga. Like, what was that transition? Like, how did you connect those two? Belly dance for me was one of the first times that I really began to reconnect my mind and body together, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of times we spend, we get disconnected from who we are in our bodies and doing these fascinating movements and belly dance just really started to awaken some stuff within me that I was like, well, this is okay, you know? And I actually had a friend who talked me into going to a yoga class with her. So that was what actually drug me into it. The first time was a friend of mine was like, come on, let's go. I'm like, okay, sure. I hadn't thought about it before, but. I went and I went back several times and I started to realize that it was yoga in a way also it offers that mind body connection and it really started to, to deepen that and I was like wow this is and it works so nicely with the belly dance in that regard but also in the fact that they really fed each other that yoga gave me strength it gave me peace it gave me resolve it allowed me to further explore my body and how it can move. Belly dance gives you this sense of being curious because you're trying all these really interesting brand new things that you've never done before. And you're having to tie everything together in fascinating ways. And it just, it gave me that sense of play and freedom. And so I would pull that oftentimes also into my yoga practice, like they would feed each other. Meaning like when I'm in my yoga practice, not worrying or caring so much about what anybody else is doing in the room, just, just doing my thing, man. Let me just try some stuff out and see what lands or doesn't land. Like, what does this feel like? I don't know. Let me just find out. <laughs> and so it was really cool that belly dance gave me, I think, some of that motivation to feel free to do that in, a, in that space. And then yoga feeding. Wow. The, the, yeah. That is so cool. And how empowering for you to make that connection and, and just get that movement. I think once the people don't realize, like, you don't have to be super skinny to be a belly dancer and you don't have to be super flexible to be in yoga. And when you do start moving your body, like, it becomes empowering. Yes, no, so definitely. So at some point, at some point you decide to get more serious about your yoga practice what was the turning point for you? I, and I'll try to make it a short one, short little story, but in, in 2015, I, I quit my corporate job. I was working at the Association of Realtors here in Memphis to go hike the Appalachian Trail. And wow. yeah. I know, I'm the same person. <laughs> I went to go do it by myself because who else can just like take off six months of time and quit everything? I mean, not very many people. Did so. you hike the I entire used... thing? I was going to. And then after three months, I got injured. 
just making a story short, I really did. And and spent some time grappling with that and ultimately was like, I think it's time for me to go home. I don't want to go home. But you know, like my body and just my mind was like, no, honey, this is where you're going. You're going to go back home for a little while. So I was out there for three months and I got half of it through, which is a little over a thousand miles. And so wow. I got the other half. I'm going to go do it though. <laughs> yeah. That's, in, that's amazing. It's in like my few year plan is to go back out there and knock that puppy out. So I, I came back though from that experience and I realized I really wanted to shift the way that I was living. The job that I had for 11 years was great, uh, but it wasn't necessarily the job for me. I, I do like that expression and movement and that freedom with that. Through that hiking experience, I like to say that it being immersed in nature for that length of time brought me back to the nature of myself, like the person I was when I was born, before all that societal junk gets like layered on top and things like change and you shift, but that person's always inside of you. And being out there for three months just was almost a bit of a meditation in a way, because you're walking all day, every day, and I didn't listen to music or anything. Of course, I would talk to people sometimes. but. It allowed me space to, to just process and to shed away. And when I came back from that, I wanted to, I've been practicing yoga since 2004, that was 2015. So that had already been a part of my life. And I wanted to, I was like, what can I do? I wanna share this with other people, like how, like coming back to the nature of yourself. And I do believe that the yoga practice is one of those ways that you can get there or get little glimmers of it. And so I went through my yoga teacher training and I was like, this is what I'm going to do. It's kind of nuts, but this is what I'm doing. I'm going to go teach yoga. Wow. Now, that's a long story, but it, that's how I like came to that, no. that route. And I had the time for yeah, because I'd saved up a bunch of money because I was going to be gone for six months. Right. So I'd saved up a lot so I could afford to go do that. So I had a little time to kind of think about what I wanted to do and, and to register and actually do the training to go through that process and be a teacher. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I love that you're willing to listen to your body when you're on the trail instead of pushing yourself to a point where it could have been a lot worse. You respected yourself enough to say, no, I need to retreat. We'll get back to this later. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to lie. Maybe I resisted it a little bit before I, <laughs> before I finally was like, okay, you're right. <laughs> I can't imagine how hard that must have been to have to make that final decision to leave that that goal but i love that you do have plans to go back and finish finish up that trail that's amazing so you get into the yoga training practice what is that process like to become a yoga instructor for most people they'll go through a 200 hour teacher training program wow there's, yeah, there's lots of them out there. They're all a little bit different. I like to consider it the undergraduate of yoga teachers or teacher training. After that, there is a 500 hour certificate that you can get if it's a 300 hour program to, to layer onto that. And I sort of call that like your master's program, like to become a teacher, <laughs> but you don't, and all honestly, you don't have to go through any of those trainings to be a yoga teacher. Uh, if it's just something that's near and dear to you, you've been practicing, you can start teaching. However, most studios or places where you might want to be hired or if you're going to get insurance and be covered and, and such, 
they like to see that you've gone through that 200-hour certification program before they, they bring you on board. But it's definitely a vigorous training. It, it, mine was three and a half, four months or so. We met every other weekend, all weekend, all day, Saturday, all day, Sunday. And it was, it was awesome. It was another one of those life-changing experiences. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have more from our guest Nikki as she shares what is possible when we become intentional with. The goal for any business is to grow and reach a new level. Get there faster by being an authority in your industry with a video docu-series. Using video, you can showcase you, your business, your staff, products and services, and your why. Building relationships is key, and a high-quality video can give existing and potential clients a way to get to know you. It also allows you to build a connection that results in increased sales. If you would like to know more about how you can enhance your business with video, contact girlbosscopywriter.com today. Welcome back to Journey to the Rise. We continue our conversation with Nikki and she shares about how she has gotten comfortable being uncomfortable. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So you, you go through those hours and that's intense. Like that's a lot. That shows a lot of dedication. And I know for me personally, I'd rather know that my instructor is certified so I appreciate the effort and time that you put into that. So what's the next step? Like you get done with this program. What was next for you? Did you go off teaching? Like, did you find students? Did you start with a studio? I decided to start with some studios. Uh, through my belly dance business that I ran for a little while before that, I decided I didn't want to, at least at that time, be the the, the boss of all the things and be like the, you know, the marketer, the website builder, the this, the that, the whatever, and the person who teaches, it was a lot. So with yoga, I'm just going to show up, you know, so I went to studios and the studio where I actually <laughs> did my training, uh, they hired me first and I just slowly started adding on nice. some other studios. So I don't have my own studio. I don't do online classes currently. I just, I'm in, in person. Uh, yoga teacher. I teach at five places currently. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's enough to keep anybody very busy. And how long have you been a yoga instructor? <laughs> Since uh, 2017, the end of 2017. Mm -hmm. Okay. So with you with those many different studios, does it become exhausting to keep up with instructing the classes your own yoga practice, managing a personal life. Like, how do you keep up with it all? It does sometimes get a little exhausting because I do spend a lot of my day being physically active. And if I'm not being physically active, I'm sitting in my car, like driving from one place to another. Or sometimes I have to kill time at a coffee shop. I'll sit there for an hour before I go teach again. And I also manage a lot of space. I, I manage space for people there's a lot to teaching yoga. It's not necessarily just move your body. It's being there to facilitate an openness for people to show up with whatever it is that they might be feeling or whatever it is that they have going on. 
And so there's a level of empathy and vulnerability, I believe, like on the part of being a teacher that you put out there so that you can really be with your people in the room. And I love doing that. It's a beautiful experience. It can also be draining, though, because, you know, you've got your own stuff going on, your own energy and whatnot. To mitigate all of this, I'm a really big proponent of taking the time to take care of yourself. Every single morning, it doesn't matter what time I need to leave my house to be somewhere, I wake up and I give myself two full hours before I have to go to just to do my little rituals, to do my routines, to have my alone time. I go for a walk every single day. I don't care if it's raining, it's shining, it's cold or it's hot. I'll go out there and I, I hand you my coffee. It's like a very manual process, but it helps me feel very connected to being present. I also will, like if I notice I'm feeling just oh, like I might take some time to just sit and meditate for a little while. Maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's 10 minutes, maybe it's 20. I try to do that a few times a week at least. And to just pause and be mindful and observant to what I'm feeling in my body and recognizing when I do in fact need rest, which is a very worthy and valid thing to do. And I think a lot of us beat ourselves over that, up over taking rest, but it's very much been an ally for me. And spending time outside. Yeah, I think not enough people, mm-hmm. you can't beat spending time outside, I agree. I was actually just talking with a friend of mine and he was expressing to me how he went to bed, He and it was like a couple days, he finally had like two days off. He went to bed, slept for 12 hours, got up for two hours, slept for another four hours, got up for four hours, and then went and slept again. He's like, I don't know what's happening. And I said, you have deprived yourself of sleep off and on for like a year maybe your body just needs to rest and he was so i love that you say that because i think so often we do beat ourselves up like oh i can go without sleep oh i can push this off and not get sleep and then that depletes us where we can't fully function so i i love that you speak about the importance of Mm -hmm. rest sure so along with your yoga you don't you also design and make jewelry? I do. I have actually I haven't been as into it on my own the last couple of years. However, I do work with a local jewelry designer. Mm-hmm. Um, her name is Myrna Halper and she makes beautiful things. I'm actually I'm wearing one of one of our little things today. I forgot. And so I go work with her once. I know I'm her creative director. I do photography and I consult with like designs and jewelry lines and things that we're doing. It's so much fun. I love all my jobs. They're just like so joyful. And then on my own, I do try to carve out time every once in a while to do artistic things. I journal actually as well. It's not jewelry making, but just some, an outlet for me to, you know, express. And I have a workshop where I've been doing some woodworking as well. Again, since I'm so busy with yoga, I'm not always in there, but uh, I make art out of wood and I've actually mm-hmm. made jewelry out of wood too. So I've made jewelry pendants and things. Really? Yeah. And mixing them with gemstones and precious metals. It's all kind of, yeah. I've got a whole, whole um, studio space upstairs. We've got a loft space and I probably need to go through and clean it out. Honestly, I've accumulated so many shiny, pretty things. <laughs> I, how did you get into creating jewelry? I love this so much. I, back when I was living, I was living in Midtown Memphis, which is kind of like in the core of the city, I'd say it's a little closer 
to downtown. It's between the suburbs and downtown. I had a, a home and I realized that I was spending too much of my time coming home and watching TV. So I intentionally, I called the cable company. I was like, I'm out. I just unhooked everything. I was like, let's just try and experiment. What happens if I don't have television? Like I had three channels, like a, a PBS and like two wow. ones. But what happened as a result of that, like I had time, like you realize, wow, I really actually do have quite a bit of time to do things and, and not make excuses. There's plenty of time. And so I started to get into jewelry. I don't know what motivated or prompted me to actually get on, just to, but I just went to like Michael's or somewhere and bought some things and set up a little table and just started tinkering around because I, I had time to, I wasn't spending my time watching television. And it would became my sanctuary, if you will. I would come home from work and be like, ooh, I'm gonna go up to my jewelry making studio and, and make some things. And I'd stay up until like one or two in the morning. I'm like, okay, I gotta go to bed. <laughs> um, but that's how, that's how I, oddly enough, got into making jewelry. Other than I've just always been a creative person my whole life. I, I've tried all sorts of things. So yeah, just landed on jewelry. I love it. What pieces do you, is there certain pieces you enjoy making over others? At first, I really enjoyed making earrings. I think there's something really fun about just having something, chandeliers, something dangling off of your ears. This is something so, so pretty about that. These days, I'm more into necklaces. And I think it's because as a, as a yoga practitioner, it's hard to have things on your ears unless they're little studs, but it's easy to wear a short necklace. And so I've been doing some hand knotting lately and yeah, more time if I'm making anything, it's probably going to be a, a necklace, one that can either be short or long and wrapped around to be made short. So it can be wear it in yoga. Oh, very cool. Mm -hmm. Are your pieces in boutiques or are they available online? Not currently, not currently. There, there's actually a few places in town though that are on my list of to-dos to go buy because I do have some inventory that I've had sitting around and I really should do something with that and just to see if they you know, would make a good fit in their shops or their boutiques. And for a little while, I, I did actually have my artwork featured at a, a boutique shop that was in Midtown in my old neighborhood where I had lived and where I taught belly dance also in that same building. Oh, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yes, we need your jewelry out in the world, so please make that happen. Okay, I will try. <laughs> so you had a post about, yes, please. We need it. We need it. We need your beautiful stuff so we can wear it. So you had a post about resistant training, and I think it speaks about how one becomes dedicated to the things that are important to you. Um, I think it was something that I read that your trainer said to you, y'all, she just started resistance training five weeks ago and she is not scared of anything. She will hike a mountain four hours away, drive back, get out of the car and teach yoga class on time. It, and then it continued on about your drive, your commitment and determination. Like what was your motivation to get into resistance training? <laughs> That's so funny. And that is true. I actually did go camp and climb a mountain. I was like, I got to get back to Memphis and I got to teach yoga. <laughs> I didn't shower, no nothing. Oh. I just changed. I'm like, I'm here. Let's do this. <laughs> I, uh, That's I got into uh, resistance training, weightlifting and just lifting in general because one of my 
beliefs or mottos or mantras or whatever you want to call it is that your comfort zone will kill you. Like if you stay too long in something that's really comfortable, you don't push to something different. It's like ultimately you're, you're not growing yourself as well as you could. That's not to say you can't enjoy some comfort. You know, we're human beings and we enjoy a certain level of it. But I realized in my yoga practice, which is something I do almost every single day, that I'd become very comfortable being uncomfortable in yoga to the point where it doesn't, I mean, I'm still growing, of course, but I'm extremely comfortable being vulnerable in my yoga practice. I'm extremely comfortable in my yoga practice trying some just bogus new stuff just to see what happens. So in a way, like, I, that's you, does that make sense? And I was ready for something to make me feel yeah. truly, like actually, truly uncomfortable in a healthy way again. And I'd been a little curious about mm -hmm. lifting weights and being on the fitness floor. And it also intimidated the heck out of me. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if I should go out there on this tall, lanky thing. <laughs> I'm like a noodle, walking noodle. What am I going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> so, but I was like, I know this will be good for me. And I do want to get stronger. I was like, there's a fascinating part to that. So anyway, I called up my friend, Greg, he's a trainer. And I was like, hey, Greg, you know, let's get together and do this. And we put together a plan. We met once a week for three months. And um, it was definitely uncomfortable, but I was showing up for it. Because why not? Nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And I love that. I do agree. I think a lot of people do get comfortable and then to go do something that takes us out of our comfort zone becomes scary. But when you see people who do get too comfortable, yeah, I don't think that's necessarily always a good place mm -hmm. to be. Mm -hmm. So I love that you challenge yourself like that and you recognized, um, that's really cool. I love that. It sounds like you have a really good trainer to work with as well. I do. He, he's, he's pretty boss. He, he's, he's, he's pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so you also had a post about giving to yourself with movement and be, movement is important medicine. Could you kind of elaborate on what that means and how it helps people? Sure. Uh, I'm not a doctor, of course, right? I don't, you know, not a scientist. <laughs> However, the way that we fuel our bodies through movement and even food and all the things that we consume, right? That's ways of taking care of ourselves. It's medicine for our bodies. When anytime you're going to move your body, you're, you're moving around, you change your chemistry on the inside. It alters you. And I think that anyone who's gone for a run or went dancing or even just jumped up and down to jumping jacks for 10 minutes, I mean, you can tell it definitely changes your mindset a little bit. One thing that I've noticed in my life when it comes to that is if you know, sometimes we're not always satisfied with our mentality for whatever odd reason. We are maybe in a funk or we are overjoyed to the point where we're just feeling a little anxious. And when we get to those moments where we're not thoroughly content with our mentality, if you change your physicality, you just move. You don't have to do anything amazing. You have a solo dance party in your kitchen or go to a yoga class. It shifts you. It changes you. It's like medicine for the mind, right? And, of course, moving your body, too, does, of course, help to strengthen your joints, your ligaments, connective tissues, 
let, letting them to be more pliable so we can age better. And I, I suppose that's what I mean with movement being medicine. And from like a holistic standpoint as well, when you move your body and you start to connect your mind to your body, you help yourself to work through any information, behaviors, traumas, any things, these things that you've accumulated, they, you hang on to them physically, like they're in your body in certain places. And some people might connect to that better than others, but whether you do or you don't, moving your body in that fashion helps your actual tissues to express some of those things outward to find a path toward healing, or at least to make you aware of that there could be a path to healing through movement. If that makes sense. I love that. It makes perfect sense. Absolutely. I wish we could put you like on billboards preaching that because I think that's so important. <laughs> Share the message of movement. <laughs> um, you also had a post that kind of surprised me, but it helped me realize that yoga instructors are just people too, and not some member to a super flexibility club that the average person can can never join. And you spoke about how the gift was not given to you, how you have to work for it, you're still refining, and that it can easily go away without if you're not taking the time to practice um and i loved how you went on and said that you have you see that you have this gift for being curious and we all have the ability to receive the gifts um and it's not reserved for the elite few um few and if you've done it before and got the habit and lost it it can be found again um and you went on by encouraging, like, take the time to be curious, to try, and you will find something rewarding. I love that so much because I think there's a, a, a mentality for some people that they see someone who's been practicing yoga as long as you have and think, I can't do that. But if they were to just try, maybe they couldn't be as flexible as you are, but they could find out how flexible they could be. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's accessible for every body, like human body, yoga, the practice of yoga is. There's no way that you need to look. There's no way that you need to act. There's no Zen quality that you need to be before you step in the door. Uh, you don't need to be strong. You don't need to be flexible. All you got to do is be there. And you don't have to wear, you can wear your pajamas. Like, you know, you don't even have to go get the high end, the Lulus or whatever. It's like, just show up. You don't even have to bring a mat. Mostly we have a mat for you too, right? And I think that's hard because our media, the way that so the social media portrays, particularly yoga, or I mean a lot of fitness, the fitness industry, that it's, it's all these people look a certain way and they all have their midriff showing. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's what people are doing. It's, it, there is, but there is an overabundance of seeing that visual out there and it's not it's not like that you don't it, it this honestly my student base is so diverse it's beautiful it is so beautiful like i look out in the room and we're just all so absolutely unique and we're all there to do yoga and we all might look different doing it however odds are we're all going to feel that same stretch in some way in our body Right. And that's all that it is. It's just, it's just being there. It's showing up. Yeah. 
and you don't have to wait till you're a certain something this or that i like to say I, I think there's for some reason there's a stigma with yoga that you do need to be a certain whatever before you can go whether it's flexible touch your toes or etc but when you think about people who just start to go to work out and they start lifting weights i don't ever you never hear someone say well i can't lift weights because i can't lift heavy things yet or i'm not strong enough they just simply start yeah. you know what i mean they just start picking up the weights but for some reason with yoga mm -hmm. there's for some reason, there's a different mindset to believe that you have to have something prior to being there that was just birthed and given to people that were elite or something. And it's not, not at all, not at all, not at all. <laughs> and is there adaptive ways, like if there's someone who really is not flexible, let's say they, they've had a, a desk job for 10, 15 years, or they haven't moved a whole lot. Um, is there adaptive ways when they come to your class that helps them through that stiffness to gain the flexibility? Of course. Yes, most definitely. Um, there are so many different alternative postures you can take that will give you the same benefits that have like similarities to each other that you can find something to work with anything that any person has going on physically or mentally that day. To, to bring them to the similar results or whatever, like the general theme or whatever the movement might be. Yes, so many different alternative postures. I uh, recently actually just worked with a woman. She had uh, foot surgery. So she was operating on one foot. And we still did a yoga practice. We did the things. Yes, we changed wow. stuff around so she could, you know, obviously she couldn't stand on that one foot. Um, she couldn't bend it very well, and but she, we did an entire yoga practice, the successful practice. So, and I've done it with a cast on my arm. I'm not even joking. <laughs> There's really, I know, I broke my arm by riding my bike. It was ridiculous, and but I was like, I'm still gonna go. Let's like get a sense of curiosity. Well, what could I do with one arm? And believe it or not, you'd be so surprised with how much you can do. And we all throughout our lives will endure injuries, issues going on, or disease that is a part of life and the yoga practice is very accommodating to any of those things. I had overheard a conversation of someone saying they had gone to a yoga class. They weren't sure if they were going to go back um, because the instructor had them use like two blocks or the blocks and they were embarrassed. But is that something to be embarrassed by if someone's like, hey, let me help you with blocks? Like, can you kind of elaborate on how those foamy soft blocks can help someone? Sure. I think they're a fabulous tool. I still use them myself. I think they're, I think sometimes they may be perceived as a, as a crutch, but really they are a tool. They're a tool to be there to help you deepen something, to feel something differently, to bring the ground up to you. And I think that, you know, sometimes, and I, I've seen this myself where someone may feel to, to be embarrassed or they feel like, well, I needed those so that I must not be good or I must be bad. And, you know, in all honesty, I think like the verbiage we use as teachers is important because I don't necessarily believe in modifications. I think that implies that something is less than something else. So if you say like you can modify with a block, right? I think that kind of reads in people's minds as, oh, well, it's not as good as the other thing that other people are doing. Rather, it's as an alternative. 
I like to say it's an alternative because it's still going to be hard work. You're still going to feel the stretch, whatever. It's an alternative way of doing this particular thing that we're doing. And yes, you use that block. It's great. It's awesome. You know, like to, to make it present it in that fashion rather than, yeah, in the other way is what I found to be useful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. So blocks are our friends. Yes. Love the blocks. I love it. Praise for the blocks. Right. <laughs> you, you, um, do you feel finding like setting your intentions, whether it's for your day or for your yoga practice, like how, what do you have a perspective on setting intentions? I think they can be helpful and I've used them off and on in my life. I do better with the ones that might be an intention for the day rather than a long-term intention for like the year. I'm just way too open-minded and blah, blah, like things come and go and then I just shift gears. So like mentally that is. Something I'll share though, that I did, did have a very powerful, speaking of intentions that had a powerful effect on me was when I did decide to quit my job and I was gonna go hike the Appalachian Trail, which is a massive, massive change in my life. I mean, seriously, I sold my home and, and lots of things to go and do that. All day, every day, I wore this bracelet on my wrist. And of course, it's not there now, but I had this bracelet. And it was that similar, that, that quote that you've heard. It's by John Muir, and it's the mountains are calling and I must go. And it was hammered into some brass. And I wore it all day. All, I never took it off for a year. So that every time I had doubt, every time I was like, I don't know, this is ridiculous, I'm insane, this is crazy, I could just look down and <laughs> there was that message on my wrist and I would see it just subconsciously or whatever throughout the day. And I think, you know, your brain reads that information even if you don't realize you're reading it. And it was so profound, it honestly was very helpful to me. So if you've ever got anything real big coming up in your life, I highly recommend getting a bracelet. You can have them stamp anything you want on the bracelet these days. You can go to Etsy and be like, hey, put this on my bracelet. That's what I need it to say. So, yeah. I love that. So you sold your house to hike this trail. I did. <laughs> I figured, I was like, well, I can't That's hold amazing. on to the house. You and I didn't have enough money to, to pay my mortgage for that long in addition to the money I'd saved and then not having any idea what I was going to do when I came back. So I sold it. And I, I had gotten married wow. recently as well. So it, in some ways, one of our houses had to go. And I was like, I guess it's mine. So I'm doing okay. this crazy thing. But <laughs> I do wish I'd hold on to it. No, like, you know, when you look back, you're like, dang, the market has just like skyrocketed right. if only i just rented it <laughs> it's just stuff it's just stuff it's all good yeah mm -hmm. so at least you had some place to come home um it wasn't like you were coming back to nothing you at least had a husband who said yes i i will let my wife <laughs> yes I, uh, I actually, <laughs> how did he feel about you taking off? Well, I told him on our very first date, no, our very first date, the first time we ever met each other, like officially to be like on a date. I told him then that this was something I wanted to do. So it wasn't a total surprise. Wow. And he actually proposed to me on the Appalachian Trail. So that was fun. Oh my god! Yeah, a little way there. And so he was extremely supportive. So much so. I mean, it was, it was great. And you know, thinking about that too, like well, sometimes we do these big scary things. And one of the things that got me through this 
speaking of like well, what's happening afterwards and, and job and life and living and all of this, if you can boil down the things that you're doing that are really monumental to the worst case scenario, and if it can be something you're okay with, go do the thing. And for me in this situation, I was like, okay, I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna go hike the AT, I'm selling my home, which you know I worked hard for, I bought it myself, you know, and, and like sold a lot of things and, and I'm quitting a job, this is all so uncertain. I don't even know how long my money's gonna really last, you know, like what if something happens? I was like, okay, well, my worst case scenario, even if all this stuff happens and it's all goes bad and goes downhill, is that I have people that love me. And I was like, oh, that ain't so bad. Okay, I can do this. Because I felt like with that, even if I had flat broke nothing, I was like, I have people who love me. Not to mean I would like abuse them and like use them, but just to know that made me feel like I can definitely right. do this thing. And I think that works in a lot of situations in our lives where we have something really monumental, big and scary. If you can boil it down to the worst case scenario and can it maybe be a good thing, then go do the thing. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. I love that perspective that you had people who loved you so you knew anything was possible. Oh, that's amazing. I love that so much. So you had a post about how everything happens to you happens for you and um, you had gone on saying everything that happens to you happens for you you're being pointed towards what is best thinking of this as I'm nursing another injury of the year it would appear the pain is the universe's favorite way to grab my attention I suppose that's the only way my stubborn ass intuition denying self will listen <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> First of all, how's the injury healing? How's that going I'm along? Good, like no pain in the moment. Just knock on some wood around here. Okay. I don't even know. <laughs> it was a strange <laughs> year for me last year, as far as like just getting hurt. I um went to hike the Pinoti Trail, backpack it. It's three hundred and fifty miles, and about halfway through, I fractured both of my heels, and. Yes, oh it was pretty awful, but you know, I didn't understand the magnitude of the pain. I was like, wow, this really hurts. And I was in the middle of the woods, so I had no choice. I just walked. I mean, I could have honestly SOS, but I was like, nah, I'm going to keep doing this. And um, two days later, got into a town, took some time off. And anyway, we waited. I was like, nope, my feet are not getting any better. I don't know what's going on. So we ended up having to come back home. Or I did, I mean, I had a friend who was with me and got x-rays and they're like uh yeah well that's because your bones have been cracked lady i was like oh wow that's <laughs> that explains oh my feeling i was having in my feet hmm. so you know that had occurred and that was a struggle for me because you know and the same thing when you know, I was talking about the at and it did i definitely grappled with the idea of leaving even though my body was saying like hey like it's it's just time and with this trip too, last year in April, there was a, some mild resistance at the front end, you know, like that stubbornness of thinking, well, maybe it's not, you know, so bad, or maybe, oh, maybe it'll go away. And you, you, but then you just start to settle in with, okay, well, this is it. This is acceptance. This is going on. And once you accept it, you're so much more open to choosing the path after that. 
and which way you want to go. You can be upset about it, you can hate it, you can continue to resist it, or you can say, this was given to me for something, something to learn here. There's something that I need to pay attention to. And I know with that particular instance, like there's no reason why that should have happened to my feet. I mean, I've did nothing differently than I've ever done backpacking. And I really think it was because I had ignored my intuition to really just take time off and stay at home and be at home and not go do that big monumental thing. I was feeling it in my soul. I was like, I want to go do that, but I also feel like I need to stay at home. But because I had a friend going with me, I felt pressured to continue on with the trip. And then this happened. I'm like, oh, I see you, universe. <laughs> I, I, see, I see what you're giving to me. I see what you're giving to me. I clearly have to go home and I had to take another whole month off of work. I felt horrible for doing so, but I needed the rest, that important rest. I couldn't stand on my feet and walk around. I needed to yeah. do that as minimally yeah. as possible. So, you know, it happened for me. Um, and throughout the years, I've had other things. I've actually dealt a lot with some uh, autoimmune issues and some skin allergies that came out of the absolute blue. And it's been a frustrating struggle at times. And I have a handle on now. I've, I've learned a lot through that experience. And even still through that, as miserable as I would be, sometimes I'd be teaching and I'm like, I am not okay <laughs> today. Like I my skin's inflamed, my points are inflamed. Yeah. I just, I would feel horrible, but here I am, you know? Through that though, I've actually come to the conclusion, like it didn't just happen to me, like for like, oh, woe is me. It happened for me. And all, in all honesty, I've never been healthier than I am now. And it's because that happened to me because I had to sit down and figure out what is going on with my system. I went to multiple doctors and they all thought I was crazy. I'm like, I'm not crazy. I'm telling you, there's like, you know. Um, yeah. And so going through that has helped me to be much more in touch with the foods I'm consuming and what I'm eating, how I'm eating it. I am so much more aware of my stress levels and what's going on and my need for sleep. Like this has been honestly a gift that was given to me, even though it, you know, something that a lot of people, you know, like it happened to me, it really, and it wasn't pleasant. It happened for me. And it's also allowed me to relate so much more with my students and the people that come into the classroom as well. Like there's a certain level of empathy and understanding that wasn't there before that, that is there now. And um, oh, I guess I that's what that. I mean when I say that, yeah. Yeah, I love that perspective because I think so many times when we do get injured or we get sick, we do go to that woe is me, but I love how you did that self-reflection. And I love and respect so much that you were your own advocate that when you went to the doctors and they were not listening, that you just kept saying, no, this isn't right. If that says a lot. Because I think so often we go and, you know, if the doctor doesn't see it, we're like, oh, I guess we're stuck with this. And you said, no, there's something wrong. Yes. I know. I don't know. That would be like a whole other podcast is, is me going on and on about how I feel about the way our modern medicine works these days. But um, yeah, I've been so fortunate. I think part of it's the industry that I work in. I'm connected to a lot of people who are very much into wellness and different approaches and different understandings. And like without that, I mean, I know, who knows, I could still be on that journey of trying to figure out what's going on here with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was actually given a question 
and they wanted me to ask you because they found out I was talking with a yoga instructor. They're like, would you please ask this? Um, how do you feel about doing yoga sitting down due to maybe someone lacks mobility, lacks of stability to do regular yoga? Like what's your perspective on sitting down for yoga? I think it's fabulous. Chair yoga. I think it's awesome. I think it's still 100% yoga completely. As long as, you know, if you're sitting, you're connecting to yourself, you're taking the time for self-inquiry, you are practicing yoga. That's the essence of yoga. I like to say that all the movement is secondary. It's a part of it for sure, but like there's, you know, like there's really, it's just the essence of the yoga practice being self-inquiry. And I can tell you what, I've been to some chair yoga classes that kicked my butt. <laughs> so chairs, man, they got my really. They've got my respect. They can be much more challenging place than you think. And if that's currently where your body is, then do it. That's what it needs to sit in the chair. I love, love that. It. So you can you can still get a benefit even though you're doing yoga in a chair. One hundred percent. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I love that. I have a question I had. Um, I was in a conversation with a yoga instructor a few years ago and I couldn't always make it to class and because uh, life was just too crazy. And I want your perspective on this because she had said to me, a little bit of yoga is better than a lot of bit of yoga if that's all you can fit into your schedule. Like a little bit every day versus doing a, a bunch. Like instead of trying to do an hour class, doing like 10 minutes. I think so. Yeah. I try to practice every day personally, and I can tell you it's not always an hour, but I'm like, man, I got 20 minutes. Let me do 20 minutes of something. I've got 10 minutes. Let me do 10 minutes of something. I've got 30 minutes. I'll do that. Right. And then maybe, you know, I do get into those hour long sessions periodically too, but doing something in that regard, if it's, is, is better than not or only reserving until you can do what you consider to be a substantial amount so yes nice i, I concur Excellent. i concur a little bit is awesome That's what perfect <laughs> okay wonderful so if someone wants to take a class with you how can they find you and where can they where, where can they sign up I have a new website that I just put out and I should probably should have checked it for glitches before I got on here, but I didn't, but that's okay. I'll check it when I'm done. But it's called, <laughs> it's called the mat and pack.com. So it's like the mat, like a yoga mat and pack as in backpack.com. So it's, you know, hiking and yoga, but on the website yes. though, I have a list of all yeah. the places where I'm teaching the class the type of class i'm teaching there and the time that the class is with links to the places where you can register and of course i'm also available for one-on-one -on -one oh, sessions okay. available for small groups like you've got a group of friends together or your office wants to get together and put together a yoga program that's great too if you want to put together a retreat and you need a yoga teacher just, hey whatever i've done bridal showers they've done yoga classes for that um, or yeah, there's, so there's lots of different ways we can oh, connect. Fun. Yeah. And honestly, if, um, someone's remote, they're not here and they wanted to do online, like one-on-ones, I wouldn't rule that out either. Yeah. Nice. Mm -hmm. Okay. Excellent. 
Excellent. And do you have any social media where people can find you and follow you? The, of course, the website, thematinpack.com. On Instagram, that's probably the best place for me. My handle is Nicolette, N-I-C-O-L-E-T-T-E, yoga art. All just one word, Nicolette Yoga Art. I love and uh, I know I should honestly probably change it to the mat and pack, which I might do that sometime soon. But at least this is what it is for now, Nicolette Yoga Art. <laughs> and it's a cool place to connect with me, too, if for any reason at all. And I usually, too, I'll promote things I have going on on that platform if I've got a workshop or special class that's been added to the schedule. I'll put that information there. And um, honestly, can we find your jewelry if, there? How can people find your designs? For, oh, for my jewelry and stuff? Probably on NicoletteYogaArt.com. Yeah. <laughs> like I'll post things there. <laughs> yeah, or if you're on Facebook, and that's where, where people are. I don't have like a business page or I did at one point, it was Wild Pony. That was like my company that I was calling like my jewelry and my art and everything. But really like the best way to connect, connect with me there is just with me is my personality. It's Nikki and I C C I Lundquist Edwards is how you can find me on Facebook and perfect yeah mm -hmm. all right we'll make sure we get all those links in the show notes and on the website when this gets going man you have been so much fun to talk to you're such an inspiration i appreciate you appreciate i can't wait to find out more about these retreats and online classes and you know when you get back out on the appalachian trail i want to hear all about that like you've got some cool things in the works for you and i'm so excited oh, well thank you so much and thank you for having me on your show this has been such a pleasure and i've just loved taking this time yeah you are a light in and of yourself so thank you so very much oh thank you mm -hmm. thank you of course of course <laughs> that's it with nikki lundquist edwards Next week, we will talk with the owner of Plant Savvy, Savannah Toll. They have, if they're not doing maintenance with me, they are set up for success, basically. That's yeah. amazing. Yes, it's so fun. That's probably my favorite part. I think the design work is my favorite part of what I do, just because I get to kind of bring people's plant dreams to life. Because, you yeah. know, a lot of people, sometimes they have ideas or they're just like, I just need green in here. I'm like, I got you. Let's go. <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to Journey to the Rise. Please do follow us on your podcast app so you have the latest episode downloaded. If you want to follow us on Instagram, our account is Journey to the Rise Podcast. This episode was researched, produced, and edited by Girl Boss Productions. I'm Lucretia, and you've been listening to Journey to the Rise.